Welcome to the Utility Security Podcast, your command center for all things utility security. From power plant warriors to grid guardians, and even curious citizens, this podcast is your essential briefing on keeping up to date with knowledge and insights for securing our nation's utilities. Expert intel through interviews with security chiefs, tech wizards, and policy shapers. Tune in as we explore the latest vulnerabilities, industry best practices, and inspiring stories of resilience from the frontline heroes keeping our grids secure. All right, so uh, first question, uh, thank you for joining us again. And can you just tell our readers a bit more about your background and involvement as it re- relates to drones and drone security? Yeah, so my name is Bill Edwards. I'm a retired U.S. Army colonel. Uh, I served 30 years in the Army. And then after I retired, I started to do security consulting work. Um, I got very interested in the evolution of what, what we call the small UAS or the drone technology as it pertains to security and safety. Um, and I started lecturing uh, in, in roughly 2017, 2018 on the topic, and then have built uh, just a, a, a litany of educational documents. I've created um, foundational courses for security professionals to take so they can understand how to develop um, the air domain in their security programs. And uh, it's just been moving forward. I'm, I'm sort of trying to keep pace with, with how the technology is maturing and evolving. Um, which is very precipitous um, at this at this stage. It's I, I liken it to the cyber security awakening we had about ten years ago. Um, I think this is the uh, the drone awakening um, that we're having having now, not only in conflict zones but in society in general. Hmm. Yeah, I have a, definitely wanted to to drill into that conflict zone stuff uh, first. But first, uh, can you just talk a, a bit about just kind of the drone industry? Uh, you know, I remember you talking about this at GSX, how it's grown and how more growth of uh, just drones being everywhere and proliferating into the the world. You know, more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Dro- the the small, so the, the platforms that we'll, we'll cover in this conversation are really what we call group one and two or category one and two drones. These are the drones that are commercially available. Um, when you get into category or groups three, four, and five, you start getting into larger drones and then, of course, military technology, which doesn't really apply to the security and safety concern, I think, for for private sector at this point. And so when we're looking at um, the category one and two drones, we've seen we've seen the growth uh, of the market really, really sort of peak at uh, a certain point and then level off. Uh, but what we're really seeing is is that the the commercial drone came to market roughly in in 2010, and so we're thinking you know 13, 14 years old at this point. But when you see what came to market in 2010 and the technology that's available now, simply by purchasing on your your favorite uh, website, it's grown in maturity in so many ways uh, from a technical perspective, and all of this has been really. Uh, the momentum and the speed of this is picked up because these conflict zones that are happening all around the world, armies and uh, are using the technology to their advantage, and they're they're using creativity and innovation to see what they can get out of the technology. And those lessons learned are being promulgated on different YouTube sites and all kinds of different places in the media. So. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot being written about this technology at the same time. I do I do a lot of writing about it myself. So I think 
what you see, let me let me just caveat this. There, there's really drone makers in the market. There are companies that produce drones. And then there are companies that produce detection and mitigation capabilities. And there are then there are companies that produce uh, training and education and, and that that type of uh, service. So really the market is is fairly simple to figure out. But real I think really where we're gonna see the growth in the market is in the detection and the countering technologies. And I think that the actual the actual uh, drone manufacturers themselves, it, that's gonna level off because frankly, right now most eighty percent of the market is is controlled by DJI, which is a um, which is a drone company. And then there are other companies that fill in the other twenty percent of the market. But it, it's it's really clear right now that DJI has most of the drones on the market. If that answers the question. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Def- uh, so you mentioned uh, international conflicts and, and kind of what we're learning about that. Can you talk more about that? I know Ukraine, we're seeing a lot of use of drones, uh, you know, to, in, in their battle and how that's giving us some insights on, on what we can do stateside as it relates to security. Yeah. Well, I mean, this all started actually probably around 2014, 2015 with, with the conflicts in the Middle East. And then it's, it's simply evolved over different conflicts since that time. Obviously, the Ukraine-Russian border conflict started in 2014, so it's been been going on some time. We just didn't have full-out uh, war or conflict in that year. You know, there were other instances where we saw uh, drones being employed very well in, you know, in Nargono-Karabakh. Um, that was the uh, conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and so we've seen we've seen this technology actually grow through different conflicts through the ages or through time. And now we have um, seen some instances of of that growth, even even going further in the Israeli Hamas conflict um, in Gaza. And so all of these, what I like to call them, are laboratories. These laboratories for experimentation of the technology have really promulgated the speed of that development. So what what you're able to purchase now commercially is obviously you know, in some ways connected to what's being demanded in, in all of these different areas of the world from uh, mostly, though, from a uh, surveillance perspective or a reconnaissance perspective or gathering data. Um, you know, the small drones are are that's really one of the missions they provide. But when you go into conflict zones, they also provide the ability for direct attack weapon systems. One of the techniques that's been improved over time is called FPV or first person view. And we're seeing a lot of first-person view attacks taking place in the Ukraine-Russian war right now with precision strike, which really changes conflict. It changes the battlefield um, dynamics uh, of how things are executed. So why do I talk about that? Well, because anything that's taking shape across the globe in, in, the, in this realm or in this technology has the capability to promulgate itself into other places. And so... What I like to tell people when I talk about it is that security and safety professionals just need to start thinking about how does the air domain now fit into the physical security program? Because the physical security program is no longer just the ground. It's no longer just terrestrial. It's now includes the air um, based on this this technology. And we probably won't go too far into it, and I'm, I don't want to say I'm an expert at all, but the cyber implications also of drone platforms can be significant when you talk about theft of intellectual property, 
spoofing of Wi-Fi networks, those types of things that could happen if um, someone has nefarious intent. So I think um, I'll pause there. Jeez, lots lots of things to be concerned about. I didn't even think about the Wi-Fi spoofing and things like that that could that could take place. Um, you know, when, I remember uh, in your presentation you, you you mentioned how easy it is to, to to weaponize drones using things like 3D printers, and you know, you're kind of seeing that in Ukraine. Can you just talk a little bit more in depth about that? What some specific examples of what people are doing using pretty rudimentary, inexpensive, upfitting solutions to really uh, change the, in, you know, what drones can do. Well, um, you know, 3d printing is, it's, it's been, it's been happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's one of the statistics I saw, and, and I'm not going to validate the statistic. It was in an open source, uh, you know, uh, product that I read, but the Ukrainians claimed they were losing 10,000 small UAS a month in the conflict. So that, that tells you that what the supply chain must look like. The supply chain must be three times that in order to sustain uh, that amount of loss. The other statistic I saw was um, there are you know over 6,000 types of drones or platforms actually being used in these laboratories for uh, you know just technical experimentation to see what they can do. But you know the fact that the small UAS can be purchased, you know roughly let's say a thousand dollars or less is really an inexpensive way to turn a technology into, an ISR technology, which is an intelligence surveillance or reconnaissance kit platform, or to turn it into a weapons delivery platform. I mean, all over the social sites these days are videos and excerpts of these drones doing this type of work in these conflict areas. And so those, what we call in the military, the TTP, the techniques, tactics, and procedures are very clear and they're being shared instantly across uh, social media sites. So, you know, when we circle back to uh, security and safety regarding this type of technology in society, we have to think of critical infrastructure. We have to think of our mass gathering events. We have to think of all of these places that now the security program, which I discussed, goes from the physical to the air. Um, and, And frankly, we're not even touching on robotics in general, where you have uh, really three domains, terrestrial, aquatic, and aerial. And they're all being uh, developed in these conflict zones to the maximum ab- advantage. We've seen uh, aquatic surface vehicles, surface drones actually attack ships, uh, Russian ships in, in the ocean. Um, so, you know, these are all, all these techniques are being used. And, and right now we're just focusing on the aerial domain because that's really the most uh, prevalent and dangerous at this point. But it's going to expand to the other two as well. Jeez, okay. You know, we saw an attack, an attempted attack on a substation happen using in a drone, and I, I don't believe it was very successful. Uh, which leads me kind of my next question: If you could talk directly to utilities, kind of what areas? And you've touched upon some of these already, but maybe just kind of uh, maybe a deeper list, if if you can provide it. What utilities need to be concerned about when it when it relate comes to drones and how they might be used against uh, them specifically. Yeah, so in in current law right now, which we're under uh, a 2018 law, it's the Protecting Homeland Protecting the Homeland Act. Um, it was it was signed into law in 2018. It was extended recently based on the uh, continuing resolution, the CR, until March of 24. So we're we're operating under a 2018 law, but we're dealing with 2024 technology, and so it's it's a little it, it, you know, and I and I'm leading the 
the Security Industry Association's counter UAS legislative team right now. And we're trying to get, you know, the law updated based on how the technology has matured and evolved. So going back to that 2018 law, critical infrastructure in this country, designated critical infrastructure, utilities, uh, power, water, whatever it may be that's designated by DHS, does fall under the category that can be protected as a as a protected site. Uh, but we know there are hundreds of locations, thousands of locations out there that are, is, are maybe privately owned uh, utilities and critical infrastructure. They, at this point, really don't fall under that law. So they, the ability to protect them is limited because it's it's all based on on what's uh, what's allowed in current law. So um, what I what I would recommend is definitely, and I've seen big utility companies in the country do this already, which is um, establish a detection and monitoring technology around their critical infrastructure or their critical nodes. So you can at least detect, monitor, track, and possibly geolocate the operator of the drone if you have the right system so that you could actually do something, right? That would be working with your local law enforcement um, in, in a manner that would allow the law enforcement to investigate and inspect, like, where's that drone coming from? Why, why is that person flying that drone over our utilities, et cetera, et cetera. But in the case of countering or mitigation technologies, it's really not uh, a viable solution right now until law actually changes, until training and certification gets up to date, uh, because these technologies, they work in the RF spectrum, they work in the GPS spectrum. So there's a lot of second and third order effects when you talk about mit trying to mitigate a drone in flight, not to mention that the drone is categorized by the FAA as a uh, air platform, you know, no different than a 737 or a 777, whatever, you know, an airplane. And so they're categorized the same. And so this is how these are the things we're working on, at least the, the professionals and experts that I, I uh, collaborate with on, on trying to get those delegations of authorities down to, you know, our mass gathering venues, our critical infrastructure operators, et cetera, et cetera. I'm glad you brought up the work you're doing to, to make that happen. I, I wonder if you can let me know a little bit more about, you know, where you feel the status is of that right now, your efforts towards changing the laws and opening up more authority to, to, to disable drones. Uh, and we, you know, kind of what you're hoping and anticipating, uh, the outcome. Well, yeah, the, the technology exists to do, to do the right things. I mean, really there, there are, um, technologies available, which I think are perfect for private sector in this instance, which it, is a, is a take control or a take command capability. Um, but again, it's not authorized by law to do that, but it is, it is the technology that would provide the less, the least amount of collateral damage if the drone was to come out of the air. What we're really concerned about is, is if you, if you jam a signal on a drone, it, it will do one of two things. It'll either, it'll either land itself, drop out of the air or try to return to its base. I mean, you know, where, where it came from. And so, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to find the technology which exists. I think it's take control. It's this is my opinion only. And then we've got to train and certify operators, and we've got to delegate that training and certification down to the lowest level of critical infrastructure, utilities, operations, mass gathering events. I've mentioned it. These are the places where we're where it's most vulnerable. And so that's the efforts we're making. And we've we've met with lawmakers uh, back in September. We're going to meet again in the new year, and we're just you know, promulgating the ideas of this is really what needs to happen. Um, because in the end, and, and most experts in this field will tell you that 
even detecting a drone of this size, because these are drones that are 55 pounds or less, right? They're small, but they have great capability. And again, going back to the categories, group one and two, group one and two drones, um, they're hard to detect. It's a complex operation. You just don't, you know, put up a detection system and say, oh, well, we're, we're, we're finding every drone in the air because that's not always the case. And um, one of the things I like to mention, and I mentioned it in my presentation, is that in order to really have a, a, a really good picture of what's flying around in your airspace, you should have a layered sensor package. You should have an RF capability technology. You should have a radar and an optical so that you can really triangulate what type of platform it is, where it's at, how fast it's flying, all of those things. That obviously is the ideal solution. Um, what most companies uh, sell today are RF uh, radio frequency detection and monitoring capabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, and that does, it does a decent job. But again, you know, you're talking about a company like DJI that has the majority of the drones in the airspace or in the market people have purchased. And then you have this 20% of other companies and then hobbyists. So it's a, it's a hard, it's a really complex problem, but there are ways, you know, to actually set up protection mechanisms if the law would, you know, allow us to do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that I feel like, you know, you kind of, you made a little bit of a recommendation there for utilities is kind of a best practice. Uh, are there any other best practices you might recommend utilities uh, take on to, yeah. to help prevent drone? Issues? Yeah. No, number one. So I, I maybe I put the, the cart before the horse, but number one is the, the utilities, any utility company or any critical infrastructure uh, node or entity, they should start with what I call the ground game, right? So you need to understand the courses I developed for this, for security professionals, safety professionals, start at the ground level. So we do a drone vulnerability risk assessment. That's a ground assessment of really what's the threat to my facility from a drone. So you actually do that report, that assessment first. That leads you into a technology, which I call the technical reconnaissance of the airspace. That's where you deploy a technology to determine what is actually flying over your um, your entity, your business, your you know your utility station. The third part of this is a drone emergency response plan. So you've got you know you're doing two things here. You're mixing the ground game is what I call this, getting your your plans and your procedures and your threat assessment in place. Then you're actually using technology to your advantage to support what you think you found in these reports and assessments. And then in the fourth uh, stage. You're doing training, you're exercising, you're rehearsing, you're working with external stakeholders like your law enforcement, your fire departments, your medical response. You're you're bringing it full circle. So this is really the same model we do in what's called security program development. You do a threat assessment, a drone vulnerability risk assessment. You confirm your assessment results with a technology solution, a detection and monitoring capability. Then you start developing your emergency response plans. And then you train, rehearse, and exercise those plans. That's the perfect model in my mind right now. What and it's really four simple steps. Um, not really simple, but simple in concept. But when you start getting into the details of how to do those things, that will set the utilities up for having a foundation. And um, once you have that foundation, then you're building the air domain into your security program, and you have it documented, which is um, the first step. I remember one thing you talked about at your presentation in, in Dallas was, you know, from what I understand, the federal uh, military and other entities are, are are allowed to disable drones, right? 
they have the technology and the ability to do it and they're legally required. I'm not sure if I'm get the wording right, but and th- and that some organizations can put in requests for assistance on that, but um, it, often requests are not fulfilled or, or, or responded to. And uh, uh, you know, I, I the wording is a little fuzzy because I know it was a little while ago, but I know it was it was something that just kind of kind of popped in my mind. I remember you talking about that. I don't know if you know what I'm uh, angling at here, but this, a bit yeah. about that sort of. The current the current law allows for mitigation to take place in really three categories: DoD facilities, critical infrastructure, and Department of Homeland Security what uh, SEER one through five events. So special events. So those are where you get into the idea of requesting, right? Requesting the ability to use a true counter UAS technology. That is in the 2018 legislation. The, the problem is, is that the bandwidth of actually being able to execute all the requests that come in isn't, simply isn't there. The infrastructure isn't there to do it. The federal government at that level cannot do all the missions or the, or the requests that, are, that go into the system. So the statistic that came out of a recent interview with uh, one of the security directors from the professional leagues, uh, sports leagues, was that in 2018, there were 121,000 121,000 requests for uh, support to events using a counter uh, drone solution, only 77 were approved. Jeez. Okay. And so that that's, I think, really sums up the question you have on where we're at and, and the need. So the market or the people running security at all these different venues, not, not to mention critical infrastructure, utilities, whatever, they have a need. They identify the need. They make the request, but we it hasn't been serviced to that level. Uh, just a couple of other uh, kind of side questions, uh, just thoughts that came to mind as as we were talking. Uh, we did an interview f- with Brian Harrell, uh, who heads up Avangrid uh, Physical and Cyber Security uh, for utilities, a uh, large utility. He 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 talked a bit about how they had DJI drones in-house and used them for security uh, needs, but recently had to pull them all, all out of uh, operation because of, uh, of some, some issues with spyware and things like that uh, in, in that Chinese manufactured drone system. I don't know if you can talk a bit about that or if that's too off topic. I just, it was something that kind of, no, really- I mean, I, I think um, what might be an, yeah, as of January 17, 2024, um, the cybersecurity guidance uh, on Chinese ma- manufactured UAS is out. It's It's been published by, and let me find the, uh, it was published by Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which is called CISA, and um, the Department of Justice. So you can, I think the best thing to do is refer to what guidance they've actually put out as of 17 January, which is yesterday. So um, I think that's the hottest thing you're going to be able to read to, in order to answer that question. I just saw the document yesterday as well, and I haven't read through it, but that is going to, um, I think, give us give us some guidance on these, these platforms that are manufactured outside of the U.S. Uh, earlier in uh, our discussion, you mentioned we have laws from 2018, but we have 2024 technology. 
you know, what sort of future technologies do you have you maybe you've seen or heard about or maybe anticipate that will be coming in, you know, in the years to come that would would, re- would maybe shift our utility security strategies? And this might be more of a crystal ball question, you know, what, what would you anticipate the future of drone technology might create? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're all, I always say that, you know, the dro- drones now are, are the present and the future, right? I mean, this is, this is what it, what's happening, but I think what we're seeing and we've seen since 2010 and we've seen since 2015 and we've seen since, you know, 2020, et cetera, is that the, the maturity and evolution of the technologies are, it's, it's, they just keep refining. They just keep getting better. And you're going to, you're going to start to see more um, AI driven platforms, more, um, autonomous platforms, um, that really will cause a lot of, of different complex problems to try to solve. Um, the one thing that we don't even talk about is the idea of swarming drones that swarm. Uh, the, the analogy I like to use is a drone swarm is centrally controlled. So it has a command and control node that controls a swarm. If a, if a lot of drones are in the air at the same time, I've heard it referred to as a flock because it's not controlled centrally. So therefore, it's independently operating just a lot of different systems in the air. Whereas swarm technology becomes very dangerous because it's centrally commanded and centrally controlled. And hmm. so that's the difference when you talk about swarming and mass. So mass itself, a lot of drones in the air, okay, swarming different problems. So AI, autonomy, swarming, those are probably the future. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, final question. Uh, just any any other topics I might not have asked you about, or if you're speaking of just you're speaking directly to utility security professionals, any other advice, recommendations that maybe you didn't already mention, and also uh, ways that folks might be able to reach out to you uh, if you'd like them to to contact. Yeah. Well, you know, again, start with start with the ground game. Um, understand, you know, your dro- do a drone vulnerability risk assessment, do a technical reconnaissance of your airspace, start writing your drone emergency response plans, start coordinating with your uh, local first responders, your stakeholders, and then start training, rehearsing, and exercising everything you've just done and make it, you know, uh, a habitual exercise, b- build it into the, into the security program. Because it, it, think about this, if you go to a, a, a utilities company, you're going to have access control installed. You're going to have video surveillance installed. You're going to have all, that's your physical security technology. Now you've got to elevate that to, to the air domain. That's, that's it. Start with the ground game. Also, one of the courses that I created was simply an educational course on detection technologies and mitigation technologies. So that helps security and safety professionals understand what they are asking for. And the course is very, very, it's designed very simply to teach about detecting and to teach about mitigation and why that's important. The last part of that course is all about U.S. law. So it gives everyone a really good uh, foundation of of what they're getting into. I, I like to say that these courses, they're built so that I can answer the question of where do I start? Where do I start when it comes to this? And utilities, they need to they need to dig into this. My my one caution is is do not go out and buy a technology as your first option. Make sure you do the education piece up front, and then you can make an informed decision on the end. 
The best way to contact me is at my website, phoenix6consulting.com. Um, and all that information I just described is is on that website, uh, but it's phoenix6consulting.com. And, you know, it's it's a great way um, to, to establish foundations. Um, and then you become informed. And once you're informed, you can make the best decision, right? I think so. Well, thank you, Bill, so, so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, lots of insightful stuff. And certainly, the more I dig and research into drones and look at it, it's certainly a scary area, too, just to see how how easily they can be used to do bad things. And I'm glad you're at the front lines trying to make changes and make, make a positive impact. Uh, and again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Curtis, and let's um, let's stay in touch and and um, just let me know through email what you might need. You know, I do a lot of it, you know, to try to be helpful and yeah. so uh, you know and raise awareness. And it would be great for me to actually be able to get into this utility uh, market space. Is critical. I call it the critical. It's really critical infrastructure is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because you know, we as a society need we need to protect protect that stuff. I'm just an old guy doing doing this stuff. <laughs> well, we appreciate your expertise and definitely will be reaching out to you. Yeah, certainly. It's uh, this is such an important topic and 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 yeah, love to have have your expertise for sure. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. You have a great day, and I'll I'll be in touch soon. Bye bye. Don't forget to visit our website at utilitysecurity.com for exclusive intel, resources, and a community of fellow utility security professionals. Stay safe, stay informed, and stay tuned for your next mission briefing. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Utility Business Media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementing.